Um, let me read the scripture for us. It comes from Matthew's gospel. Actually, this, is, uh, this time together as we get into God's word, it'll actually be great if you have your Bible with you or like a Bible app open in front of you. If you don't have one, you can always grab a Bible back there because we're actually going to be skipping around a ton. So grab one or open your Bible app. It will be great for you to just have something um, to kind of flip through because we'll be going back and forth. So Matthew, today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. Hear Jesus' words. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you today that the most important thing today isn't a football game, maybe, or the snow, or anything else that's happening. The most important thing that we need today is for your voice to speak so that we can hear you, that we can know you, that we can know what you desire, what you're like, and how you've made this world. I pray that we would hear by faith and walk by faith these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, this morning, I want to kind of uh, take you back to sixth grade science class. I actually don't know if this is in sixth grade science class. I wasn't paying uh, much attention back in junior high, but I just imagine this was a junior uh, high science class topic. Um, any science teachers? I know a bunch of you are teachers, but I don't think anyone's a science teacher. Good, because I think I'm going to butcher the science lesson. Um, are any of you familiar with Newton's laws of motion? Okay, nodding of heads. Good. Can you list them all? Give me some... Give me some laws of motion. Just say them out loud. Who's got one? An object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force, which is Newton's first law. What else? That's about where everyone stands. That's it? That's when they stop listening? Force equals mass times acceleration. Yes. That is the second law. Who's got the third one? This is a good one. What do you got? That's a different guy, but it's a good one. I like that one. You can hold on to that. Newton's third law of motion. Anyone got it? For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. Great. Is that sixth grade? I think that's about sixth grade, right around there. Uh, now, science was not my strong suit, but for some reason, I can recite those three laws of motions like that. Like, I, I just remember them. It was ingrained in me and because I think, for me, those laws of motion describe in very, very, very simple terms a lot about our world. For example, it explains why it's so very difficult to get out of bed every morning, right? An object that is at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside force, right? An alarm, 
like a nudge, an elbow, whatever it is, right? That's, it's helpful. You kind of understand that. How about the Olympic sport of curling, right? You guys are watching curling? Okay. Strange sport, but it's, it's a part of the Olympics. There's a lot of other sports that I feel like should be a part of it, but for some reason, rolling rocks is a thing. So um, curling, you would assume that huge rock, I don't even know how heavy it is, but it looks big. You would assume that rock careening through or going through the ice would careen through all of the other rocks in its way and it would just ram everything and it would just obliterate that board, right? But that's not what happens, right? That rock moves and then once it hits another rock, what happens to the original rock? Stops in its place and then the other rock keeps going. It's just a strange thing. That's third, the third law of um, motion. Now, Newton's laws don't just explain curling or uh, why we're lazy. I would argue that Newton's laws have some intersect with how God works in our world. And it kind of makes sense, right? God created the world. Newton observed the world to come up with these laws, so there should probably be some overlap. So, for example, one of my favorite Bible principles, and I, you've probably heard me say this before, you've heard us say this before. One of my favorite Bible principles is what God does to us, he intends to do through us, right? What God does to us, he intends to do through us. You can see that highlighted all over the scriptures, right? Um, God calls the people to himself, and then he sends the people out to call others to himself. Or Jesus comes to serve us, and then we are sent to go serve others. Or as we talk with the kids, God loves us, and then we are to love one another. Or he, he's generous with us, and so we're to be generous with others, right? There's this that theme all throughout the scriptures. What God does to us, he intends to do through us. And that biblical principle is a lot like, I would say, Newton's first law of motion, right? What is set in motion should continue in that same direction with the same trajectory, right? God acts upon us and we are to continue that. Or to say it another way, the opposite way, if you're at rest, it means you have not been acted upon, okay? Now, why the science lesson? Because the fifth beatitude in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling out this reality that we are blessed. We are blessed. We're merciful. If we're merciful, full of mercy, we are blessed. In this case, what he's saying is, you're blessed. The declaration leads to a promise. You will receive mercy. But also, the declaration is a result of the promise. You have received mercy, and therefore, you are merciful. Another way to say it, Matthew 5, 7, is a person without mercy will remain merciless, while a person who has experienced mercy will remain merciful and shall receive mercy. That's really dense, so we're going to unpack that, okay? First, we have to establish what mercy is. I would ask you what mercy is, but I feel like we're going to get a ton of different answers. So I'm just going to summarize it like this. I would assume that all of us think mercy is one of two things, either forgiving somebody or meeting others, other people's needs, meeting the needs of others, right? Which, so which one is it? Is mercy forgiving others or meeting other people's needs? The answer is yes. It's both of those things. It's, it's, a, it's 
a very multifaceted word. It's actually uh, more complex than we might initially think. So if you have your Bibles, I need you to open them to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to do some Bible exercise. We're going to uh, uh, exercise that Bible reading muscle, okay? Because I want to show you something about how to read the Bible. Your Bible, I don't know what your Bible looks like. If you're on the app, I don't know how that looks. But in my Bible... Um, there is a little letter before on top of the word, the merciful. You guys have that too? I have a letter Z. I don't know if you guys have the letter Z. But I have a letter Z on top of the merciful, right? And so one of the best ways to understand what the Bible means about something is you just follow the breadcrumbs. This is something I I, I think I learned in, in seminary. But you follow the breadcrumbs. You follow all the leads everywhere it points, and you will eventually get to understand what that thing means. So notice that letter just above the merciful. Now, if you uh, look for that letter at the bottom of the page, or maybe it's in the middle column, I don't know how your Bible is formatted, but you're going to notice that there's a bunch of list, uh, uh, verses listed next to that letter. So in my Bible, there's some breadcrumbs there. You've got to follow it. It's the Bible's, the publisher's way of saying, hey, if you like this verse, you're also going to like these other verses. If you're interested in the, it was the original recommendation engine. Like, you know how Amazon does that thing? Like, if you like this shovel, you'll like these other shovels. Like, you know, like, so Bible publishers figured that out first before the internet. So um, you look at that, uh, the letter, and then you see all the uh, references next to it. So let's follow where the breadcrumbs lead us. The first reference in my Bible, at least, is Matthew chapter 18, verse 33. What is it in yours? Someone yell something out. What do you guys got? First Opinions. That's a great book for, yeah. What else? You guys got any verses next to that? The Merciful? Nothing? You got, you got a James 2.13. Interesting. Okay. We're not going to go to James yet, but we're going to go to Matthew 18. Let's just start there and we'll, we'll travel around. Matthew 18.33 says this. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 18 is all in context of a parable that he taught about a servant and a master. So the master um, lent a servant, let's say, $4 billion, some enormous amount of money. And then the servant owed, obviously, the master that money to pay him back, and he didn't have it. The servant didn't have the $4 billion to pay back the master. And the master says, you know what? I will have mercy on you. I will forgive you of your debts. You don't owe me anymore. It's all done. It's complete. I will eat the cost. So that man, if you imagine, that man is happy. He walks out of that uh, master's house. He's skipping along the road, going home. And on his way home, he runs into a fellow person, a friend of his, that he lent $4 to. And he says, where's my money? And the guy's like, I don't have your $4. Like, I get paid on Friday. It's Tuesday right now. I don't have your $4. So the servant takes the man by his collar, puts him up against the wall and says, give me back my money. I need my $4 right now. Keep in mind, he just got forgiven $4 billion. And so eventually the servant sends this man to jail and says, he owed me $4. He's not willing to pay me. So that man goes to jail. And the master catches winds of this whole story and he realizes, and he goes to the servant, he says, what are you doing? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow man, your fellow uh, servant, as I had mercy on you? 
And so the master ends up putting this servant in jail because he couldn't back, uh, pay back the $4 billion that he owed him. So in this case, what is mercy? Mercy is forgiving someone the debt that's owed. Right? Mercy is forgiving the debt that someone's owed. Now, the second breadcrumb, at least in my uh, Bible, is Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 to 35. And this is what it says. Jesus is speaking. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So what is Jesus talking about here? Here, Jesus is talking about a day of judgment, where he's going to be able to separate between those who actually follow him and those who are pretending to follow him, between the sheep and the goats. And in this case, what is mercy? It's pretty straightforward. Mercy is seeing a need and meeting it. So clothing the naked, visiting those in prison, welcoming the stranger, feeding somebody that's hungry, right? Proverbs 19 is another passage that's in the breadcrumbs that's basically saying the same thing. In fact, if you're familiar with uh, the, the parable of um, the Good Samaritan, you guys know the story about the Good Samaritan? Um, that's another place where this word mercy shows up and it has the same idea. See, at the end of the parable, the, 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 um, the lawyer asks Jesus the question, well, which one of these people that um, uh, ran into the, the, the person on the side of the road, which one of these people who uh, was a good neighbor to um, the man who fell among the robbers? And Jesus answered the lawyer, he said, or the lawyer answered, The one who showed him mercy, obviously, is the good neighbor. And Jesus said, yes, you're right. Go and do likewise. So in that case, mercy is seeing the need of others and meeting that need. So mercy is forgiving someone the debt and also filling a need when you see it, right? It's both and. Now, I want to show you another breadcrumb that we can follow, okay? Um, You guys know about footnotes and cross-references? We're going to get really deep and nerdy here. Okay, uh, footnotes and cross-references, right? Those are what we just did, right? The little letter, and you go to the side, and you kind of follow it, or you go to the bottom of the page, you kind of look at where it goes, and then you kind of uh, follow that path. Do you guys also know about the concordance at the back of your Bible? There's, if you flip to the back, there's a reason why there's a bunch of words that are in alphabetical order and then uh, references next to those words. Now, here's a pro tip. If you want to know the meaning of a particular word, Go to the concordance and try to find uses of that same word in the same context. Here's what I mean. If you want to know what mercy means in Matthew chapter 5, you should look up where else mercy is referenced in Matthew's gospel. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the other places mercy is referenced in Matthew's gospel, right? That's the way you get to the author's intended meaning. One of the references is Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23 um, uh, basically highlights the opposite of mercy, what mercy is not. So Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the religious elite of that day, and he says this in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, which is basically like, yo, listen up. Like, things are going to go bad for you. Here's a curse on you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
These you thought to have done without neglect. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So what is mercy in this passage? Well, it's basically saying what it's not. What mercy is not, mercy is not measuring your spice rack to figure out if you can get an exact tenth to make sure you really, really tithe. Mercy is not straining gnats or swallowing camels. It's not irrelevant stuff that you're doing. Mercy is not concerning yourself with the trivialities of external religious rituals or external signs of righteousness. Mercy is not measuring the length of somebody's hair so it's just right. Mercy is not making sure somebody wears the right color. Mercy is not, you know, debating the merits of the church coffee, whether it's too with too dark or too light or whatever it may be. Or uh, Good thing we don't have carpet here, but I've heard people fight over church carpet. This tile is really nasty. Can we agree? Okay. <laughs> I think we can agree on that, right? Mercy is not those things. To Jesus, those things would be like straining gnats. It's like, what's the point? Why are you going through the effort of straining gnats? It's pointless. It's meaningless. It's empty. Mercy is not external performative religion. Mercy is the covering of debt through forgiveness and meeting the needs of others when you see it. Okay, you're starting to get the picture. All right, one last breadcrumb that I want to have you guys follow. He talks about mercy again in Matthew's gospel in chapter 9, verse 13. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus is having a meal with the tax collector. So he's having a dinner party, and he's got tax collectors. These are the rich elite of that day, but they were despised because these were Jewish people that were traitors against their own nation of people. They basically extorted people for money, for their own gain, and also for the gain of Rome that was uh, ruling over them. So when the Pharisees saw Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors, he was like, uh, the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? Teacher, do you know that you have, you're, you're running with bad company? Like You're not with the right people. This is not the company that you want to keep. To which Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now he says this again three, verse, uh, three chapters later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, another pro tip, if you're reading the Bible and you hear the same thing twice or more than twice, it is repetition and you are supposed to listen. It should raise your awareness to what's being said. So, what is that quote? Where does that quote come from? Why is Jesus saying, go and learn about this thing, that, uh, what this means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Can any, anyone tell me, if you're looking at your Bible, can anyone tell me where this quote comes from? Where is the quote from Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, or Matthew chapter 12, verse 7? I desire mercy and not sacrifice come from. Hosea 6, 6. Yes. Anyone remember Hosea? Probably not. Me neither. It's a very small book in the Old Testament. Nick does. In Hosea 6.6, 6, here's what it reads. This is the direct 
quote that Jesus, remember Jesus says, go and read this and learn what it means. But let me read for you what Hosea 6.6 6 says. It says this, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Where in the world is the uh, word mercy in there? It isn't. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I thought it was supposed to be a direct quote, but it isn't, right? In our, in our English, at least, the, the, uh, the, the translators translated that Hebrew word, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. But if you're there at Hosea 6.6, 6, you would then see another one of those little letters, and you'd follow it down to the bottom of the page, and you would read something that says, Septuagint, mercy. Now, if anyone knows what the Septuagint is, it's probably because you went to seminary. But the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so when the uh, translators of the Bible read the Hebrew and tried to translate it into Greek so that the Greek readers can understand the Hebrew Scriptures, they ran across this word, steadfast love, and were like, you know what? This means mercy. This is mercy. So they wrote it in the Septuagint. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, mercy is personified by God through his steadfast love. Mercy and steadfast love are one and the same. God's steadfast love is mercy. Or the way that the storybook Bible, you guys have the Jesus storybook Bible? The way that the Jesus storybook Bible says it is awesome, and and I'm going to quote it. Mercy is... The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So if you want to know what mercy looks like, it's a lot like your father, a good father, how a good father loves their child. Right? If you're a parent with kids that can talk back to you, you understand this. But if you're a parent with kids that don't talk back to you yet, you don't yet understand this because you still think they're perfect and, and nice and awesome. Uh, but let me just tell you, your kids will disobey you. Future parents, your kids will disobey you. Your kids will break your heart. Your kids may even end up cursing you one day. It's going to happen. But that does not stop you from loving them. That does not stop you from doing whatever it takes to make that relationship right. right? It doesn't stop you, from, no matter how bad it is, from loving them and doing whatever it takes to absorb that wrongdoing so that you can have a good relationship with them. You love them. You're willing to do whatever it takes. You will pay the price to maintain that relationship. Now crank that up a billion, and that's God's steadfast love towards us. That's why David, when he's at the darkest moment, when he's egregiously sinned against God, he realizes how, fall, how, how fallen he is and he's in a dark place and he feels really distant from God. That's why in Psalm 51, King David cries out these words. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. I want to know your love. So hopefully we see what mercy is now. Mercy is that love, that patient love that moves towards another, that fills whatever gaps are in in between, 
and willing to close that gap and be close to that person. Mercy is you treating somebody better than they deserve to be treated. Mercy is you forgiving the debt that's owed to you. Mercy is never holding that debt against them ever again. Mercy is like God's steadfast love, patient love, long-suffering love, enduring love towards us. Now Jesus says this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, you're blessed if you're merciful. You're blessed if you're merciful. Blessed are those who are full of mercy. Do you guys feel full of mercy? I love how Ezra's the first answer. You're not full of mercy. Do you find it easy to forgive others? Do you find it easy to see the needs uh, that are presented before you and fill those needs? Do you find it easy to be patient and long-suffering? I'm guessing not. In fact, it's like downright impossible. In fact, I'm guessing you're running very low in your mercy tank this morning. You don't have a lot of patience for people. You don't want to go out of your way to meet the needs of others. I'm, probably, I'm, I'm guessing you probably are, are short-tempered with people. You, you um, don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You're easily irritated. You're always keeping a record of wrongs against them, and you're waiting for them to repay the debt that's owed, against, uh, owed to you, right? That's kind of our uh, a normal mode. So what do we do when we lack mercy? What do we do? Do we produce it? Do we practice it so we can obtain more of it? What do we do if we lack mercy? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what we do. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They shall receive mercy. If you're not full of mercy, it's okay because mercy is something that will be received. It's something that you can't produce, you can't practice, you will receive it from God. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God is abounding in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy and he's already poured it out on us at the cross, right? So he has been merciful towards us. So what he does to us, he intends to do through us. He has given us mercy so that we can be full of mercy and show mercy to others. So what does that look like, all right? Real practical application. Does that mean that we're to forgive everybody that wrongs us no matter what? Does that mean we should never punish our children if they misbehave? As a teacher, does that mean if, if a student is out of line, they should, you should be like, hey, no big deal, carry on, right? Is that what mercy looks like? Does mercy look like you always being trampled on, always being taken advantage of, and just always eating the cost? Kind of what it sounds like. No, that's not what mercy looks like. So you need to remember that God is both merciful and just. God is both merciful 
and just, right? He's the one that said to Adam and Eve, hey, you did sin. And there is a consequence of your sin. It is death. And actually, you can't, actually, you can't stay here anymore. So he sends them out of the paradise and says, go. But just before he sends them, what happens? He gives them a nice, warm fur coat. It says, it's going to be cold out there. You're going to need this. Mercy and justice. A merciful teacher would tell the student, you've done wrong, kid. You broke the rules. There's a consequence there. But at the same time, you would also maybe encourage them and say, hey, I see good in you. You're acting out of character. I want you to know that you are able to do better, right? Or something. I'm sure you, you'll figure out something, right? right? Seven Mile Road. Those who are in Jesus' kingdom find themselves full of mercy. Not because they have it in abundance in themselves, but because they have received from God who is rich in mercy. He's poured out his love towards us. And if that sounds like good news to you, that's the type of kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your kingdom is an invitation to receive from you what we don't have. We lack mercy, we lack the patience, we lack the long-suffering and endurance and the steadfast love that it takes. But we know that we can receive it from you. We know that you have it in abundance, that you are rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love. So I pray that we would receive, and as we receive, we would go and be merciful to others. Pray that you would make that true of us as a church and as a people, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.